The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he will come after me, ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son, who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. O Christ. I feel like some year I would like to challenge a church to do a Christmas pageant based off of John 1. What sort of interpretive dance would that be? Katya shaking her head, making it very clear she will not tackle that task. This is the nativity story as we find in the Gospel of John. It looks nothing like Matthew or Luke. It's the interpretive dance version of the birth narrative. John 1 is often called a prologue. It reads less like an account of history and more like poetry. The words are probably somewhat familiar and they wash over you like poetry does, inviting you to sink in to the language, the imagery that is invoked, evoked by this text. It is beautiful and stunning. It pulls you into the emotive place of faith and religion and relationship with God. It deals less with us knowing the who, the what, the where, and the why, and instead focuses us on the emotional connection that we can have with the divine. It is an extraordinary text, a text that speaks to us in ways other gospels do not. In many ways, it reminds me more of what we will hear in places like the Psalms, words that sound like poetry. It is intended to remind us of Genesis in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning. We're reminded of that first beginning and reminded now of this beginning, which in fact we're being told of 
as the first. And whenever we encounter such a familiar text, a text we know and love and hold so dear, as I feel that many do with John 1, we also look at it with new eyes. We are always seeing our text through the lens of the time and the place in which we find ourselves. And no matter how beautiful or extraordinary a text is, we cannot become complacent in our biblical interpretation and theology just because a text is beloved. Now, the problem with this text, and yes, there is a problem, is that some of the imagery it roots us in can have extraordinary and dire consequences. This text is profoundly known for relating Christ to being the light. It's an image that we are incredibly accustomed to. It's the metaphor that we use throughout the season of Advent. Christ is the light coming into the darkness. We light candles in the darkness. We have a light and dark metaphor that runs through this season that we are comfortable and familiar with and use almost without thought. Now, this is beautiful imagery and in and of itself isn't necessarily bad, except for the way in which this language also feeds into our world, into our connotations of what is good and what is bad. Light and darkness as a metaphor are just another way to point us towards God. But in the practical reality of how we live, assigning good and bad to light and dark has consequences for people, for all people, but especially for those who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color. The metaphor of using darkness to be without God or less than God has ramifications in how we live our world and certainly has played into the historic and present current racism that exists not only in our country, but in the world. It is one of the places that we are called now to have caution with in how we speak of Advent and how we speak of scripture and how we speak of Christ. If, Christ, if God is always related to light and goodness, what are we internalizing about darkness? This past summer, we spent as a congregation, many of us, I, there were about 25 people who took the sacred ground class, a class intended for people who predominantly identify as being white to look at structural racism and theological racism and all those things and how they play into our theology and our church and our history in the world. One of the texts that we read in that course is called Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman, as I have here. Howard Thurman is one of really the first liberation theologians that we see uh, in our history. His books were said to be carried around with him by Martin Luther King Jr., a text that um, spoke to uh, the sin of segregation, the sin of racism, and upheld, lifted up, and promoted those who the gospel really cares for and speaks for, those with their backs up against the wall. As Howard Thurman says in this text, given segregation as a factor determining relations, 
the resources of the environment are made into instruments to enforce this artificial position. Scripture has been used to enforce segregation and separation. Religion is thus made a defender and guarantor of the presumptions. God, for all practical purposes, is imagined as an elderly, benign white man seated on a white throne with bright white lights emanating from his countenance. The way in which language promotes good and bad has consequences in our world and in our society. And the consequence has the exact opposite effect of what we hope religion to do. If religion is meant to be something that frees and lifts and upholds those who, as Howard Thurman says, have their backs up against the wall, we do the exact opposite of that when we continually define God and goodness with light and brightness and darkness with the devil. This is perhaps not the message we wanna hear in the midst of the Christmas season. Certainly we would be more comfortable talking about a sweet baby boy laying in a manger, the beauty of that scene, the star in the sky. But part of the birth of Christ is calling us to be uncomfortable for looking at the realities of our church, the inherent racism, the problems with our faith. Because part of what Christ does is invite us to continually examine, reshape, reevaluate, and restart how we profess our faith. Now, I don't see us retranslating all of scripture to take out all mentions of light and darkness, but instead call us to awareness of how they appear and to expand beyond just that metaphor for how we live and to find ways in which we celebrate the way in which darkness is part of God. One of Howard Thurman's texts is called The Luminous Darkness. I hope I'm getting that right as the word just slipped out of my brain, but the, exploring the, the sin of segregation and also the way in which darkness is a, can be a place of connection with God. If you actually look at the Greek, which I will fail if I try to pronounce myself, the way in which the word for darkness can be translated could also be shadow or shelter. This puts dark and light into a relationship with one another, not separate things, but something on a spectrum. Darkness is always in relation to the light, but not as a good or a bad, but all part of the same being, all part of God. Shadows are created by light and are still a part of us. Shelter, as a definition of darkness, invokes safety, protection, in many ways, darkness can be a place in which we are protected and reunited with God. When we think of this passage, we cannot just think of Christ as the light coming through and conquering darkness without challenging the ways in which that language influences us and the way in which we encounter the world. Instead, we have to look at the way in which language profoundly influences who we are and what we believe and how we are in relationship with God and to find ourselves beyond that is some of the dangers of the Christmas season to want to rest too quickly in the comfortable 
the beautiful, the magic of it all. Certainly that is amazing and spectacular and wonderful. And yet this year, this season more so than any has reminded us of what we are really doing in this season. We don't have small children dressed as angels and shepherds and sheep to help us feel good and warm and cozy about everything around us. Instead, we perhaps are sitting in a place of confusion and perceived separation from God. And these scriptures are reminding us and breaking through in those moments to speak to us of how we, are, how we can seek to find God. Another quote from Howard Thurman from a, a different text than the one we read in our class is a poem. It says, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with the flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. The work of Christmas is not 12 days of sitting in the manger with a star hanging above our heads. But the work of Christmas is to, to do the radical work of justice for those with their backs up against the wall. So we are called to be uncomfortable, to recognize places of injustice, places of oppression, places of segregation, to see how we participate in power or how we are, are oppressed to fight against empires that seek to destroy our God-given selves or seek for us to separate ourselves from one another. The work of Christmas continues. The work of being Christian is born this day in its discomfort and uncertainty Christ is there in the beginning and Christ is here now. But as Howard Thurman would remind us, Christ is there particularly for those with their backs up against the wall. And where we find ourselves in this story, if it makes us uncomfortable, if it makes us uncertain, is calling us to do the work of the gospel, to do the work of Christmas. So when the star disappears and the shepherds go home and our trees come down, our work continues. And the spark that is Christ, the truth that is Christ, the darkness that is Christ guides us in this work. Amen.